You're listening to a CFCC audio podcast. For news and service times, visit www.cfccnet.org. Well, good morning. Good to see each and every one of you here today at Cypher Christian Church. Glad you're worshiping with us here today. It's good, 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 good to be with you here this morning. Again, welcome to CFCC. My name's Kevin Gallimore, and I'm the uh, community pastor here at Cypher Christian Church. I want to welcome you. If you're a guest and this is your first time here, uh, we are so thankful for you joining us. And we have a gift for you, so make sure you go to the welcome desk on your way out to get that gift. There's a few things that I want to highlight in your bulletin here. Um, there's several things going on. This is always a busy time for student ministry, and we've just finished up a couple of camps, but we've got more stuff around the corner this summer. There is the Triumph Sports Camp, which is coming up, and you can sign up on our website or on our app. Uh, we've also got a couple of more engage activities going on, the backpacking trip, the CSM uh, trip, mission trip that's going to be coming around the corner. So we encourage you to, to pray for our students as they participate in those things. We also uh, have a lot of women's events that are going on throughout the summer, uh, nights for the ladies to gather together. Those are in your bulletin. And then also I want to highlight something new this week, which is we're going to have a night of worship at the end of July, on July 27th at 6.30 p.m. with some friends uh, uh, who maybe you haven't seen in the worship band for a long time, friends who've moved away. They're coming back, and we're all going to lead worship together for a special night of extended uh, musical worship, and we encourage you to bring your friends and family to that. If you have any questions about any of these things, you can contact the church office or find out more information on our website. Good morning again. This is my friend Doug. You may recognize Doug Pritchard from playing bass back here with the band. I got introduced uh, to Doug, um, I guess a few months ago, uh, by Jeff Ball and, and Mike Lambert, some mutual friends of ours. And Doug has been blessing us with his talents and, and giving uh, to the church. And we had a conversation this past week in which uh, he said he was ready for baptism. And he told me, uh, just really stood out to me on the phone. It was a really powerful moment. He, he said, uh, Kevin, I am a sinner and I need Jesus. And just declared it really simply and really plainly. And he wants to declare that uh, to God and to all of us here today. And, uh, and uh, I'm excited to, to be a part of this here with you, Doug. I'm, I'm grateful for your friendship and grateful to know you and how you've blessed me and the church. And so are you ready to yep. be baptized Absolutely. today? Absolutely. All right. Well, just stand right here. And uh, I'm going to ask you to repeat after me. Okay, Doug? Yes. I believe. I believe. That Jesus is the Christ. That Jesus is the Christ. The Son of the Living God. The Son of the Living God. And my personal Lord and Savior. And my personal Lord and Savior. Based on that confession, Doug, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Cool. So, um, 
hidden lessons behind life's biggest losses. So I'm betting, no show of hands, but uh, I'm betting there's quite a few people in this room who when they saw that uh, the first week and we saw that title for the series uh, that you figured that uh, Dale and Kevin were uh, doing this just for you. Uh, I know I did. Um, so I've thought long and hard about uh, how you find lessons in these kinds of losses. And uh, I can't say uh, I have learned a ton yet, uh, but I'm working on it. It is a work in progress. But I have had some insights into a couple of things that I think uh, play into the, to that answer along the way. Um, so in my own life, uh, most of my big losses have sprung from relationships. Betrayal of trust, betrayal of love, betrayal of friendship, um, all those kind of interrelationship kind of things. And I suspect everybody in the room has at least one of those stories. Recovery from this kind of loss generally involves forgiveness at some point. And um, forgiveness has never been very easy for me. Um, I don't think I'm alone in that either, but uh, what I really haven't ever understanded, uh, understood in my own uh, mind is why that is, why it is I have such a hard time with it, because I know very clearly that God forgives me, and how can I justify doing less? Um, I know from experience uh, that carrying the pain and the loathing hurts only me, um, so why is it so hard to let go? I realized just recently that um, letting go of the anger of, uh, at the other person is not really the hard part for me. The truth is that I know from the start uh, that I'm going to end up forgiving them. I know it's just a matter of time, but here's what I've just realized. The part that keeps me from letting go has nothing at all to do with the other person. It's really about the anger I feel at myself for my own role in this process uh, and in what happened. And that burns for years. Uh, I'm not sure I ever truly let that go. So what's the lesson to be learned in that? <laughs> I'm not totally sure, but um, I think it might have something to do with prevention, um, with accountability. Not, not sort of the old school definition of name it and blame it, uh, but um, identify resolve and prevent. Holding each other accountable in relationships is pretty clearly what we're meant to do, according to the Bible. Uh, the Old and the New Testament are full of dozens and dozens and dozens of uh, verses on this subject. Just a few, Proverbs twenty-seven seventeen: iron sharpens iron and one man sharpens another. Galatians uh, 6, 1 to 2, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watching yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens. So fulfill the law of Christ. Matthew eighteen fifteen seventeen. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him the, his fault between you and him alone. Hebrews three thirteen. But exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Common threads. For me, at least, in these relationship losses um, are, are really two. I don't know how this uh, works for you, but these are, these are the two that uh, stick out to me. Um, giving more than received. Actually, there's nothing wrong with that, as long as accountability is present. But the other piece is, the other thread is failure to make accountability a part of the relationship. Holding someone we're in a relationship, personal, business, or otherwise, accountable for their actions, statements, commitments is far harder uh, 
than holding yourself accountable for those things. But not being held accountable encourages habits that can ultimately have devastating consequences. I have the t-shirt. Um, I believe uh, I might be able to prevent someone I care about from going down that path if I take the time and make the effort, if I can step out of my comfort zone, and if I hold myself accountable for holding them accountable. Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you uh, for your overwhelming never-ending, reckless love. We've all experienced losses in relationships, in performance, in many different aspects of our lives. Help us to see clearly as we dissect them and search for the lessons we can learn from them. We pray these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, today is the fifth Sunday of the month, and so uh, like we did a couple of months ago, I'm going to ask all of the kids who are in the service here today, if they could come up to the front for just a few minutes. Don't be bashful. Don't be shy. If there are any kids here in the service, you guys can sit right up here, right on the front. We've got a special, there we go. Now they're coming. All right, right. Yeah, of course, the preacher's kid right up here in the front. All right, have a seat right here. Right up here. Just right up. Come on, y'all. Don't be shy. Don't be bashful. Come on. Y'all give them a hand here. Yeah. Awesome. Sit right here. Yeah, awesome. Awesome. Perfect. Right back here. Okay, perfect. All right. Awesome. Well, um, I want to tell you guys a story that finds its way back in the Old Testament. And it's a story about a man named Moses. Moses, one night, decided to take his flock of sheep to a place they had been before, to the base of a mountain called Mount Sinai. And the sheep were a little unfamiliar about this spot. They'd never been here before, but they trusted Moses. Trusted Moses because over the years, Moses had learned to become a very confident and very compassionate shepherd. And the sheep trusted him. They followed him where he led. Uh, Moses, uh, over 40 years there in the, the desert, was learning to become a good, good shepherd. And God was using that time of Moses' life to teach him how to lead his people. And so Moses led his sheep to this this one area at the base of Mount Sinai, and it was surrounded by a range of hills on all sides, and so he knew it was safe, and there was grass there for, for the, the sheep to eat. And so as Moses was searching the landscape and the horizon, searching for wolves and other kinds of dangers that might be lurking around, he saw off in the distance, it looked like there was a bush there on the horizon that was on fire. Can we dim the lights here for a second? There was a bush on the horizon that was glowing, but it wasn't being consumed. Moses was really curious about this thing, and he, as he walked up to it, he walked up to the bush, 
And from the bush, a voice said, Moses, Moses, don't come any closer. Take off your shoes for you're standing on holy ground. You're standing on holy ground. And Moses took off his sandals and bowed low, bowed in all of this voice. He was completely overwhelmed. And the voice said, this is the God of Abraham, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Jacob, the God of Isaac. And Moses thought, God speaking to me? Who am I that he would speak to me? And Moses, Moses stood there in all bowed down low, and the voice continued, God's voice continued from the burning bush, and he said, I have heard the cries of my people who've been in bondage under the power of Egypt. I've heard their cry, and now it's time to deliver them. And I want you to deliver them, Moses. And Moses said, God, I can't, who, who am I that you would call me to deliver your people? And God said to Moses, he said to him, Moses, don't worry, I will be with you. I'm gonna be with you, Moses. Moses said, but I can't speak. I don't have a, a really good speaking voice. I'm not a, a great leader. And God said, you know what? Watch this. He said, take your staff and throw it on the ground. And Moses threw his staff on the ground and it turned into a serpent. Yeah, it turned into a snake. And then God said, pick up the snake. And when he picked it up, it turned back into a staff. Moses was completely amazed. Then he said, Moses, take your hand and I want you to put your hand inside your cloak. And he pulled out his hand from his cloak and he had leprosy on his hand. He had wounds all over his hand and God said, take your hand and put it back in your cloak. And when he did, he removed his hand and the leprosy had disappeared. It was clear to Moses that the power of God was gonna be with him. And so Moses took his flock of sheep that night, returned back home, and he would eventually deliver his people from the hands of Pharaoh, from the hands of the most powerful man on the planet, and deliver his people to freedom. And you know what? Sometimes, sometimes God uses us, right? God wants us to serve. God wants us to to help his people. And we can come up with all kinds of excuses, but what did God say to Moses? God said to Moses, I will be what? I will be with you, Moses. And so in those times where God's calling us to do something difficult, we can always remember that God will be with us. All right? All right, we're gonna talk about Moses a little bit more this morning. But for now, I just want to pray for us, pray for you guys before you go back to your seats. Father, thank you for this day and thank you for your word. Thank you for your reminder in scripture that you don't send us out alone, but you, you are with us. You are the I am, the one who was, who is, and is to come. And Father, we, we thank you that you don't send us alone, but you walk with us, you go before us. And help us in those times where you're calling us to, to do something, to serve others, and we feel all alone. Help us to be reminded that we are not. 
Father, we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, go back to your seats. Well, we are continuing our series this morning in learning from loss. And uh, we are going to be talking about Moses here this morning. I want to start out by talking about uh, some uh, memorable, memorable things that have happened in Houston here over the years. And, uh, and I got to be honest, this, uh, this, this first portion of the service, this is going to be a little painful. This is going to be a little painful. We are um, going to be... We are going to be talking about um, some uh, learning from, from Moses' failure here this morning, but I want to start off by talking about some memorable losses in the city of Houston. This is going to be a little painful here to begin with, okay? So just get ready. This is going to sting a little bit. And I can see some of you shaking your head as longtime Houston fans. You're like, don't do this. Don't start this way. This is what we're going to do. We're going to walk back in time, January 6, 1980 the AFC Championship. This is a rematch between the Houston Oilers and the Pittsburgh Steelers. And in that game, we had them. I mean, we were so close. It was third quarter. It was 17-10 Steelers, and we were making our way to the end zone. Dan Pastorini passes a slant route. Mike Renfro's running a slant route. He passes this beautiful pass that should go down in history as one of the greatest receptions, except it wasn't called a reception. It was called incomplete. They didn't count it. This was before instant replay. In fact, this was like the play that instituted instant replay because they realized that they got it wrong. How many of you guys remember this play? The Love You Blue era, man. It was painful, 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 painful. Big time loss. The whole city hurt for the Houston Oilers, 1993. Oh, gosh. You know where I'm going. 1993, I remember this like it was yesterday. Oh, Houston Oilers against the Buffalo Bills. Here's the thing, for those of you who aren't football fans, Two Hall of Famers, Jim Kelly and Thurman Thomas, were not playing in this game, okay? They weren't even playing. They were injured from the previous week. They weren't even playing. The Houston Oilers go up 28-3 to at halftime. 28-3 to at halftime. At the start of the third quarter, we score another touchdown. It's 35-3, to and then the wheels fell off. Frank Reich institutes this, this incredible comeback. In fact, the comeback of NFL history. It's never been repeated. 32 points. Frank Reich brings back the Buffalo Bills and they defeat the Houston Oilers. Another year. Another painful, painful year in Houston sports. Look, there's lots of these that we could go over. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try and end it quickly here with this one. We're going to play a video here so you can just sort of relive the moment, but not yet. Don't play the video yet. This is 1983, Five Slam Jamma. Mm, man, you just hear all these groans. Everybody's just feeling it. The Houston Cougars, in fact, I'm wearing my Cougar socks today. The Houston Cougars um, were the best team in basketball. 
In fact, they had just beaten the second best team in basketball, the Louisville Cardinals, the, just a few days before. The, the Houston Cougars were high octane offense, running up and down. Like if you missed any one of the plays, then you'd be missing like a moment because people would be talking about it in their offices for days to come. Like what happened in the dunk that Clyde put on? You know, I mean, it was just like a thing that was just overtaking the nation at that time. They were called Five Slamma Jamma. They took on the doctors of dunk, the Louisville Cardinals, and they, they crushed them. They absolutely crushed them. Now there was only one game left to go for the championship, okay? And we were playing the uh, NC State, wow, I, I, the Wolfpack. I mean, like, these guys almost lost to Pepperdine the week before. Pepperdine, I mean, it's like insane. This was gonna be a total slam dunk, this game, no pun intended. But they were led by the real gregarious, outgoing Jim Valvano, and he orchestrated this incredible game, this incredible defense against Faisalama Jamma. Slowed him down. Faisalama Jamma, Clyde, and, and uh, Reed Geddes, and, and Akeem Olajuwon were winded by the end of the game. It's tied 52-52. And here's the thing about this last play. We're gonna watch it here in just a second. It was, it was designed... It, it, it happened just like it was supposed to happen. They were gonna go for the steal. They were gonna force a pass. They were gonna go for the steal and score a last second shot, last second dunk to end the game. But that's not what happened. Check out the screen. 154, it's deadlock. Now let's see what the strategy becomes. It's down to seven seconds. You can see the time. Wittenberg, oh, it's a long ways. You see what happened. I mean, he missed the steal by inches. The guy lobs up a, a shot and totally airballs it. And the team that was known by its dunks lost the championship by a slam dunk. It was terrible. It was terrible. That, that scene of Jim Valvano running out on the court has been re replayed hundreds and hundreds of times. And really, that game is sort of like the essence of what March Madness is, is all about, but it was a painful, painful loss for, for the Houston Cougars. No one likes to lose. None of us like to lose. We've talked about this here over the last few weeks. None of us like to lose, but, but losing has benefits. There are things that we can gain from failure, and if you allow it, it will actually make you stronger and you'll learn how to overcome. You'll learn how to be better the next time. Thomas Edison said, I have not failed. When he was talking about inventing the light bulb, he said, I have not failed. I've just found 10,000 ways that won't work. <laughs> we don't generally like to lose because losing is painful, but let me let you in on a little secret here today, and this is why we're going through this series. You can learn from your own mistakes or... You can choose to learn from other people's mistakes. Which do you think is less painful? Learning from other people's mistakes. This is what the Bible calls wisdom. 
This is biblical wisdom, learning from the mistakes of others. Proverbs 21 says, simpletons only learn the hard way, but the wise learn by listening, by receiving the wisdom of others. Life is a lot less painful if we can learn from other people's mistakes. And that's why God gave us this book. That's why God gave us the Bible. It was to be used, Paul says, to be an example for us. These stories that, are, that we find in the books of the Bible are used to be examples for us if we're willing to listen. And over the last few weeks, we've been uh, learning from those who have experienced failure, those who have lost, those who have encountered obstacles or, or adversity. We've learned from Joseph, we've learned from Job, we've learned from Naomi, and this morning we're going to look at Moses, and we're focusing on Moses because we, we see a lot of success in Moses' life, but we also see some really serious Failure. He failed in some pretty significant ways. And those failures could have defined his life. Those failures really could have shaped him and sort of made him run away and forget it all and lose his faith and, and deny it. But it didn't. He didn't allow those failures to define him. And in working through those failures and those great losses, we're going to look at a big one here this morning. Moses continued in faith to lead God's people to the promised land. And so overcoming failure is possible if we can learn how to do this. We're able to continue on in our faith like Moses and find the fullness of life and, and power that God has for us. You know, we're, we're about to celebrate uh, July 4th here in just a few days. Some of you, I know, have big plans. It's a time where we get very, you know, patriotic. We're reminded of our country's history, and we think of our forefathers. George Washington is sort of the pinnacle of, of courage and, and integrity and, and, and leadership. But did you know in his first military operation, his first military uh, charge that he had. Washington surrendered to the French and he was forced into a, a, a false confession. And as a result of that, he was actually demoted and relieved of his command of those troops. George Washington, one of the greatest leaders of this country that we know, that we think of. Abraham Lincoln, another great leader, failed. Look, if you've ever get a chance to read the biography of Abraham Lincoln or to look at, at his history, Abraham Lincoln failed time after time after time in business and in politics. Steven Spielberg, my favorite directors, I'm a big film nerd. Steven Spielberg is the, he was, he's the first director for his films to gross over $10 billion. And he was rejected twice by USC's film school. Crazy to think about it. Henry Ford burned through all the money from his first group of investors without even producing a car. Walt Disney's first cartoon production went completely bankrupt. Steve Jobs, the creator of the most valuable company in the world, was fired from that company in 1985. Of course, then to be rehired 
Dr. Seuss, his name actually I learned the other day is actually pronounced Soys. Dr. Soys. I don't think any of us are going to change that anytime soon. Dr. Seuss, the much-loved children's author, had his first book rejected by 27 different publishers. And the reason we, we know these people is because they overcame that failure. I mean, if they would have succumbed to any of these things, we wouldn't even regard them for who they are, but we, we know them because they overcame this failure. And the same is true for Moses here today. Before he ever had that encounter at the burning bush, uh, we were flirting with disaster there, weren't we? That was, a, that was a scary thing there with the burning bush. But before he ever had that encounter with the burning bush, Moses experienced failure as a young man. In Exodus chapter two, verse 11 through 15, the Bible tells the story of Moses defending a Jewish slave who was being beaten by one of the Egyptian soldiers. And in a fit of, of rage and anger and, and is probably motivated by, by compassion, but in a fit of anger, he strikes down this Egyptian soldier. Instead of letting God free his people, Moses took things into his own hands and tried to do it himself. And as a result, Pharaoh chased after Moses and Moses had to flee into the desert. Have you ever failed at something? Have you ever failed at, at school maybe? Maybe you tried a, a new sport for the first time. Maybe for your kids who are in little league. Maybe, maybe you tried baseball and you struck out. Or maybe um, you tried soccer and you were never able to score a goal. Or, or maybe you tried art class and the thing you tried to make didn't look good like you wanted it to and you failed. Those kinds of things can make us want to just give up and quit, can't they? Maybe, maybe you have, have, have seen struggle and difficulty in the workplace. Maybe you have failed at, at work and, and at the first sign of, of difficulty, you've thought, maybe I, I'm just going to try something new. I'm going to try something different. This, this is it for me. Maybe you've failed in relationships, failed in, in marriage, and seen difficulty there. And too often, we look at failure as being fatal, don't we? We, we avoid it at all costs. But Churchill said, Winston Churchill said, success is not final, and failure is not fatal. It is the courage to continue that counts. So if Moses, if he wouldn't have faced these, these failures, he wouldn't have been the man that we're talking about today. Again, those failures would have shaped him and, and defined him, but he didn't let that happen. Moses learned something from that situation, striking down that Egyptian soldier. He learned from his failure, and it was, it, that shaped his life, not the, not the failure, but the wisdom shaped his life and helped him overcome that failure. The second failure of Moses that we're gonna look at today came after the burning bush and after the Red Sea. This is after he has delivered 
his people from the Egyptian hands. He's now leading the people of Israel as they wandered in, in the desert. And like a conditioned reflex, uh, you've heard the story of the people of, of Israel grumbling to Moses about certain things. And we see that here in Numbers chapter 20. You can kind of turn there and look as I give you some, some background, some context. Like a conditioned reflex, the people begin to complain again. A cycle of complaints and rebellion kind of characterized their time in the desert. Whenever they faced difficulty, the people of Israel turned to Moses and Aaron and, and they would cry out and, 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 and weep and, and complain because they had left Egypt. It was actually far better for them to be in Egypt than it was to be wandering in the desert. You know, it seems like difficulties can either bring out the best in us or the worst in us. Difficulties can, can make us act more mature or difficulties can make us act more childish. And we're gonna see some of that in Numbers chapter 20. This is verse two. And it says this, it says, now there was no water for the congregation and they assembled themselves together against Moses and against Aaron and the people quarreled with Moses and said, would that we had perished when our brothers perished before the Lord. Why have you brought the assembly of the Lord into the wilderness that we should die here, both we and our cattle? And why have you made us come up out of Egypt to bring us to this evil place? It's no place for grain or figs or vines or pomegranates, and there's no water to drink. And then Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly to the entrance of the tent of meeting and fell on their faces. And the glory of the Lord appeared to them, and the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, take the staff and assemble the congregation, you and Aaron, your brother, and tell the rock before their eyes to yield its water. So you shall bring water out of the rock for them and give drink to the congregation and their cattle. And Moses took the staff from before the Lord as he commanded them. So we're told at the beginning of this passage, there was no water for the people. Now, this sort of seems like a legitimate complaint, doesn't it? But we're kind of conditioned when we hear the people of Israel complain, we're like ready for God to rebuke them. We're ready for God to say, stop your grumbling and your complaining. But I gotta be honest, this looks like a legitimate complaint. And so, so when God arrives here and speaks to Moses and Aaron, we're ready for him to rebuke his people, but that's not what happens. It actually looks like God has compassion on his people and he is there to satisfy their need. And so in verse 10, it continues and it says, then Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock and he said to them, hear now you rebels, Shall we bring water for you out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock with his staff twice and water came out abundantly and the congregation drank and their livestock. Now Moses had done this once before, if you remember earlier on in Exodus chapter 17, verse six, but on that occasion, God had, had instructed him to strike the rock. On this occasion, years, many, many years later, God tells Moses to speak to the rock. 
But instead, it appears that, that either in anger or in pride, Moses lashes out and he chooses not just to speak to the rock, but to actually strike it. And then so in verse 12, it says, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not believe in me to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel, therefore you, you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. These are the waters of Meribah, where the people of Israel quarreled with the Lord, and through them he showed himself holy. And so instead of rebuking the people of Israel in this moment, God rebukes Moses and Aaron. And you know, the dominant picture that we have of, of Moses throughout scripture is this obedient servant to God, this, this really heroic figure of our faith, interceding for his people, turning down a chance to become a great nation of his own, welcoming the guidance and help of others and working selflessly for the good of all of the people. That's the picture that we have of Moses. But under the surface, there were fissures beginning to develop in that heroic veneer of Moses. We had seen his anger lash out several different times before, and we, we see it here. And the language that's used here in this, in this passage, I have to be honest and, and looking. You can go to some, some uh, theologians who have very definitive views on the interpretation of what God says here. But the truth is the language is ambiguous and we're not exactly sure why God was so angry with Moses here. Was it that he called them rebels? Was it that he struck the rock? Was it that he, he did something else in that moment? We're not exactly sure. What we do know is God says, you did not believe me. You did not believe me. And we know that Moses was disobedient, that instead of speaking to the rock, he actually struck the rock. And instead of having compassion for his people like God, Moses referred to them as rebels. And so not only did he, he not believe in the Lord, but he, he also disobeyed the Lord, and thirdly, he misrepresented the Lord. And this reminds me of, of something that I think is important for us to know. We, we, as followers of Jesus, as born-again believers, have the Holy Spirit within us, guiding us and leading us and speaking to us. And there are moments when God speaks very clearly to us, but I want to remind us all that we need to be very careful. We need to be very careful not to be flippant with the word of God. I hear often that the Lord told me to tell you something, or uh, the Lord said that I should, should do this. And again, I believe that the Lord can speak clearly to us, but I've also heard people wield that like a weapon. I had a friend who uh, we had a, a mutual friend, uh, both believers in Jesus, and, and this, this particular person began to sort of drive a wedge between our friendship and, and sort of separate me and, and my friends from one another. And they became more and more and more isolated. 
there was more drama and more conflict and confusion than I can even begin to describe to you. And to this day, I can't even tell you what the issue was. This person just kept continuing to sort of divide us from one another. And when, when they had completely divided us and isolated my friends from me and from others, they wrote my friend a note. They wrote him a note. Now, they were neighbors with one another. They wrote him a note and put it in their mailbox and the note said, the Lord told me to end our friendship. The Lord told me not to be friends with you any longer. After they had completely isolated these people from all of their other friends and, and from the community, from the church, they then said, the Lord told me to end our friendship. Does that sound like something the, the Lord would say? We need to be very careful not to, to wield carelessly the word of the Lord, not to misrepresent the Lord. Proverbs says in, in, in chapter six, verse 16, it says, there are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. We need to be very careful when we're speaking for God. But I gotta say that if you look at this from Moses' point of view, from, from just a human point of view, this had to be incredibly disappointing for Moses. Here he had been leading these people throughout the wilderness, dealing with all of this conflict and he makes this mistake, a, a really dreadful mistake, and God says, because of this, you are not allowed to enter the promised land. You just, just have to imagine what that would have been like for Moses, stumbling right before the finish line. As we were working through this, this series and thinking about um, great losses that we've all witnessed together on television. And as I was preparing this week and thinking about stumbling before the finish line, I was reminded of Dan Jansen. You guys remember the Olympic speed skater, Dan Jansen? In 1988, he just won the world championship and he was expected to win the 500 meter. He was an incredible athlete. But early that morning, he had gotten word that his sister, Jane, would likely not make it through the day. She was back home fighting leukemia and she was struggling to stay alive. So Dan gets to the starting line of the 500 meter with all of this weighing on him and comes around the second turn and catches his blade on a chip of ice and falls. If you remember, I mean, I remember the whole country just watching with bated breath that race. And, and even as a, as, a, as a young kid watching that, I felt so much heartbreak for him. Later, his sister would die and he would have to race the thousand meter. 
And in the 1,000 meter, this is another race that he was favored in, he falls again, slips and falls. And so the 1988 Calgary Olympics come and go. 1992, it's in Albertville. He has his chance for redemption. Again, favored in the 500. This time he comes in fourth. But then races in the 1,000. It's not his favorite race, but unfortunately this time he comes in 26th. 26th place. Another Winter Olympics comes and goes, but he wouldn't have to wait long because that was when they decided to do the Winter Olympics every two years. So in 1994 in Lillehammer, he gets to the 500, favored again, slips and falls, finishes eighth. And so finally, his last race, he steps up to the line in the 1,000 with his last shot, and he said he just thought in his mind this last time, what if I didn't have all this pressure, this weight of winning on me, what if I just tried to be my best here today? And it would turn out he would not only be the best of that day and get first place and his only gold medal, but he would set an Olympic, uh, Olympic record and a world record in the 1,000 meter speed skating. End up with his only gold medal out of all of those races. Yeah, you can applaud uh, Dan Jansen there. That was that. <laughs> Just kidding. It would have been easy for him to give up all of those times, wouldn't it? It would have been easy for him to just sort of throw in the towel and walk away, just as it would have been easy for Moses to give up on God and himself and walk away from the mess. But Moses, Moses didn't. He overcame his failure and he continued on. And what helped Moses overcome this failure, this colossal failure, was submitting to God's discipline in his life and continuing to faithfully lead God's people. And he did this by knowing that the Lord forgave him. While this discipline was, was harsh, he knew that the Lord forgave him and gave him a second chance. And so I wanna read you a few scriptures, Isaiah 43, to remind us of the forgiveness that's found in God when we fail, when we lose, when we stumble. God says, I blot out your transgressions and remember your sins no more. Psalm 103, 12 says, as far as the east is from the west, so far has God removed our transgressions from us. You know that if you travel the globe from north to south and you get to the North Pole, what happens when you get to the other side? You immediately start going south, right? But if you travel the circumference of the earth east to west and start by traveling east, will you ever end up going west? No, you won't. God, God's forgiveness is as far from the east to the west. Ephesians chapter one, verse seven says, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Ephesians 4.32 says, forgive each other just as in Christ God forgave you. 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. God forgives us. I want you to hear that this morning 
above all. This, this, this penalty that Moses pays seems harsh. But God's ways are far above our ways and he was painting a picture there for the people of Israel. What you need to hear is that even in that, that penalty that God forgave Moses, no sin and no failure and nothing that we can do will ever separate us from the love of God, Romans tells us, right? And so if we ask God to forgive us, he will and our failures will no longer define us. And this forgiveness is only available through Christ. And I want to point you quickly to the picture that, that God is painting here. This rock that Moses struck is a picture of Christ. Jesus is often referred to as the rock. He's the stone the builders rejected that has become the cornerstone. He is our rock, our fortress, and our deliverer. My God is our rock, David says, in whom we take refuge Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, 4, that this rock that Moses struck, this very rock, is Jesus, the Christ, bringing forth living water. The people of Israel drank from this spiritual rock, and that rock was Christ, Paul says. And so despite human failure, despite the failure of Moses and his mess up, and this this great grave mistake that he made, God was still merciful. Do you see that? God didn't withhold this water from his people. This water still sprang from this rock. And that mercy is available to us today. John 7, 37 says, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and let the one who believes in me drink. Mercy is, is available to you even in your failure. And so I want to leave you with this, and we're going to close out the series here now. If you feel like you've lost at life, you feel like you have failed and you have done some things that you cannot overcome, let these stories of Moses and, and Joseph and Naomi and and, and of David and of Peter and all of these people we see through scripture, let these stories encourage you and let them all point you to Jesus whose mercy is abundant and whose mercy is available to you today. Christianity, rightly understood, and I've been thinking of a way to say this differently, but I'm not sure I can avoid it. Christianity, rightly understood, is the way of losers. <laughs> the worst of any playground insult that you could hear, right? But deep failure is something that we that we think about in those moments when we're really honest with ourselves, maybe in those, those moments when uh, we're just waking up and getting ready for the day, and what do we do? We get dressed and we, we get buttoned up and we maybe put on our Sunday best and we go out into the world and we present this facade to, to, to really hide any kind of, uh, of, uh, of weakness in our lives. 
and to hide these failures in our lives. But this Christian story, the story of of Jesus and being a follower of Jesus strips us down to nothing in order for us to face ourselves anew. To face ourselves with a new perspective because it turns people who have lost, it turns losers into people who are, are not despised and rejected, but people who are accepted in love and in grace. Despite it all, we're still worthy of love from God. And it's always revealed precisely at the greatest point of dejection. And so as we close out the series, I want to just, again, point you to Jesus and remind you that your worth is not indexed on worldly success. Your worth is not based on your achievements. It's not based on your successes. In fact, if anything, we should always strive to, to, to represent God and with, with love and with grace and, and with excellence. But if anything, we're maybe at our best when we fail. Because when we are weak, he is strong. It points us to Jesus. When we're, when we're wearing these successes and these medals and when we're celebrating these awards, when everything is going right, we're not leaning, we're not dependent on Jesus like we should. And so if anything, Sci-Fair Christian Church should be a place where we're proclaiming, proclaiming our need for a savior because we are all failures. As, as Doug said so boldly, I'm a sinner. If anything, that's what Sci-Fair Christian Church should, should be proclaiming, that we are sinners in desperate need of Jesus. And so if you feel like you've lost at life, if you feel like you, there's something in your life that you can't overcome and you can't get past and you can't be redeemed from, I want to remind you here today that you are still worthy of love. And because of what Jesus has done on the cross, you are a victor. And so hallelujah. <laughs> hallelujah. Amen. Would you pray with me? I'm gonna ask our communion servers to come forward. I'm gonna ask our prayer partners to come forward. And God, we just come to you here today and confess as, as sinners, and to some that may be offensive. But for those who see sin as it is, for those of us who have seen you as you are, high and lifted up, God, we confess to you boldly that we are sinners and we cannot save ourselves. That apart from Jesus, I'm not worthy. But because of Jesus, not only do you see me as worthy, but you've made me a, a co-heir with Christ. You've made me... Uh, 
a, a son able to inherit all of the blessing of Jesus Christ. And so we thank you, God, for that. And I pray that for those here today who, who maybe seem uh, in despair and those who are, are feeling like failures, I pray, Lord, that they would come to you and that they would, uh, they would find victory in Christ here today. We thank you for the example of Moses. We thank you for his faithfulness. We thank you for, for Job and his example. We thank you for Joseph. We thank you for people like Naomi. We thank you for, for examples over and over and over in scripture of these heroes of the faith, Lord, who failed over and over and over again. We thank you that they're not perfect because it gives us hope. And so, Lord, uh, all of these stories point us to you. We thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. We're gonna take communion here now and celebrate the redemption that we have in Jesus, celebrate the body and blood of Jesus. And we take communion by dipping the bread into the cup. And so the server will say, this is the body of Christ broken for you, and you'll take the bread, and then they'll say, this is the blood of Christ shed for you, and you'll dip it there into the cup. We welcome you, all believers, to celebrate the Lord's Supper here today. Our prayer partners are also available up here in the back, and they will for the remainder of the service. I encourage you to take part in that as well. Please come.